There, there are times in our life that we feel abandoned. We, we feel forgotten. Um, I, I can still vividly remember moments as a child, maybe walking through a crowd of people, walking through a store and looking up and all of a sudden realizing I don't see one of my parents. And, and that is, it kind of creates this freak out moment from within. I think all of us, we, we may grow out of that element of, of well, I, I don't worry about where my mom or my dad is now. Um, but we, we still have these moments where we revert to the same feeling, where we feel a level of abandonment. We feel like, God, are you even there? If you're there, why aren't you answering these prayers? Why haven't you walked with me through this? And we find ourselves from moment to moment pleading, asking God, we need you. I need you. I need you. Would you show up in this? And when God doesn't show up the way that we think he should show up, we feel abandoned. How, how, how can we learn to move through those moments of our life where God doesn't seem to make sense, where God may not give us an answer, where we may feel abandoned by our creator? How can we actually move forward? Well, the good news, I believe we can move forward and we can actually leverage that in a way that our faith can actually grow as well. But what is your natural reaction when God doesn't show up? When, when maybe you face a job loss, a health crisis. What, what is your natural inclination? What, what emotion tends to erupt? Do some of you, do you find yourself in that moment angry? Depressed? For some of you, maybe you withdraw? Others of you, you, you kind of pull the Heisman on God and you go, I'm going to stiff arm God. That becomes a dangerous place. The emotion in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but when the emotion turns into a regular stiff arming of who God is and what God wants to do in our life, that becomes a dangerous place. Today I want to take us to this passage. And the reason why I want to dive into this specific passage is that if our natural inclination ends up leading to a place where we stiff-arm God, my fear is that when we stiff-arm God, we will actually lose the personal experience of experiencing God's grace in a very real way in our lives. The big idea of what we're going to see and where we're going to kind of land the plane today as we walk through this is my hope is that we can honestly say this, that when you don't see God's hand at work, would you learn to trust in his heart? When you don't see God's hand at work, would you trust in his heart? Let's pick up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start reading in verse 7. Verse 7. So go ahead and follow along with me. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He's sharing a little bit about his own personal story. So there's a level of vulnerability that Paul writes this to Christians in the city of Corinth. This is his part of his second letter that he's written to them. He says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. He's metaphorically talking here. There was something happened. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient 
for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But what I want us to understand here is as we read this message, Paul writes this. For those that in the room, you don't have a full understanding of who Paul was. Paul was a great man of God. And notice this man who had walked with God had, in many ways, he had done the miraculous. He'd been bit by poison snakes, didn't die. I mean, God had used him in incredible ways in his lifetime to establish the local church, to grow the church, to reach people that were far from Jesus, to share the good news of who Jesus was. And three times he pleads. He pleads. You get the, the emotion that is in that. He, he's crying out to God, God, why this? Why that? Can you please just get, take this away from me? Remove the thorn. See, Paul was a religious man, and he actually considered to be a religious zealot in many ways. He was Jewish, Paul was a Roman citizen, and he lived after the death of Jesus. That's where his main ministry began to take place. He knew the disciples of Jesus, saw Christianity actually begin to grow, and early on in his life, he actually dedicated himself to preserving the purity of Judaism, the Jewish faith, and as a result, he looked at Christianity as being a sect, a cult of Judaism, being impure in its entirety. And so because of his calling to preserve the purity of Judaism, he set out with this kind of joined a wave of people who persecuted and even actually killed Christians, thinking, we'll quickly absolve this, we'll, it, it'll disappear. However, one day, Paul, who actually at this point was named Saul, he's traveling to a local city, probably to get himself some Christians. God bumps him off his donkey, and in that process, he blinds him. Through that experience, he begins to take place over the next few days. Paul is forever transformed. He receives his sight back, but internally, his heart, his soul is completely transformed. Paul receives a message from God telling him that he's going to be his messenger, that he's going to be the one that actually carries the message of hope, the message of forgiveness, the the message of Jesus to the non-Jewish world, to what we kind of dubbed the Gentile world. And as a result, because of the significance of this message, the significance of the impact that Paul would actually was going to have, God, in this moment, tells Paul that he's going to inflict him with something that's actually going to keep him humble. This thing is going to keep him from being conceited. And so you kind of look at that. There's a whole lot resting on Paul's consistency in how he lives out the faith. How he follows God. And God didn't want him to get sidetracked, thinking, look how cool I am. Look at what I was able to accomplish. 
He didn't want Paul to think it was by his own strength and by his own power and his own brain that all this began to take place. He wanted Paul to remember, you are my messenger. You are my spokesman. You are the person that I have anointed to go out and do this, but it is me doing the work through you. Don't lose sight of this, Paul. And so in order to help you not lose sight of this, this is what you're going to have to live with. To get a little bit more of Paul's story, I would encourage you to take some time even this week, read through the book of Acts. If you're wrestling with the whole Christianity thing, whether or not it's real, is it something that I should give my life towards, Paul is a great story to, to, to read through and to study because Paul goes from this man who is seeking out, wanting to destroy the church, looking for ways to kill Christians, to be into a place where he's establishing the church and he's leading people to Jesus. What shifts somebody so significantly? It's only the power of God at work in his life. What was this thorn? What was this thing? We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us clarity on exactly what it was. Some scholars guess that maybe Paul wrestled with epilepsy or he had some kind of funky eye thing that was going on. What we know is that people didn't enjoy being around him. They didn't understand in that time frame medically what was actually going on with him. And so that challenge, that thing that he's dealing with, that thorn that wouldn't go away presents three different seasons in Paul's life where he pleads, he begs God, he cries out to God, God, would you take this away? He came to moments in his life where he's like, God, this is just too much. I can't handle this. I can't handle that anymore. Would you remove this? You ever been there? You ever faced moments in life where you're going, God, I, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I, this is too much. I, I need this. I need you to show up. Have you, have you been in those moments? I know I have. Now get this, I think this is where it's so helpful for you and I. Paul's left in the dark. God, why won't you take this from me? I think in those moments it's easy to feel lost, it's easy to feel lonely, it's easy to feel depressed as you face those hardships. Wondering, does anybody even know I exist? This is how God answers Paul, going back to verse 9. He said to me, my grace, my grace is sufficient for, your, for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Whose grace? Whose grace? God's grace. In other words, God is saying to Paul, I will give you the grace that will allow you to actually endure Day in, day out, every morning, waking up and saying, there's that thing again. Oh, God, you're, you're still there. God, I, I'm going to need you. Strengthen me. Help me endure through this. Think back to your own life. We all have these moments of 
oh no moments. We all have them regardless where you are in your faith. Oh no moments. Oh no, she's pregnant. Oh no, I, I left my cell phone. Oh no, I, I left my wallet in my pants and my mom just washed my pants. Like we, we all have these moments regardless of where you're at in the faith journey, but we all have these moments. And these moments in life, these oh no moments, compel us usually to pray, right? They, they compel us, like, God, if you're there, I, I need you right now. I, I need you to show up. How are you going to get me out of this? We, we all have these moments from time to time. Man, I wish I would have studied more for that test. God, I need you to show up. We, we pray, please, 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 God, please don't let this fill in the blank. I hope she fill in the blank. Some of you here this morning... For the same reason, you may have walked into church going, God, I, I'm, I'm in church. I need you to do this. I, I need you to show up in this area of my life. First of all, I want us to understand God is not a convenient machine. He, he's not this little machine that we put a few quarters in and then we can get a candy bar out of. That's not how God works. The good news is God works beyond that. His grace is bigger than that. His love for you is bigger than that. He's not saying if you do this right, you hit the buttons just right, this is what I'm going to give you. God's ask for us in life is to walk with him in faithfulness. All of a sudden, in a flash, when we have these oh no moments, we find ourselves in utter dependence of God. We move going, I think everything's okay, but these oh no moments lead us to these moments of extreme dependency where we feel like the only way I'm going to be able to get out of this moment is if God shows up. Here's the thing, that's not necessarily a bad place to be. But the, my fear, the danger of this is when we find ourselves getting out of these moments, where it doesn't end up being that bad, our understanding of God doesn't actually change. We go right back to doing exactly the same thing, the same way that we were doing it before, and, and going, well, when things get bad, I know God will be there, and then we cry out again, versus allowing it to transform our life moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day. Don't look at God and place him in a box just because he doesn't show up the way that we think he needs to show up makes us feel as though he's abandoned us. The thing here that Paul is talking about is something that God has allowed him to endure so that he will learn to stay dependent on God all the time. So that there's no doubt who's in charge. There's no doubt whose power is at work couple of ideas I want us to explore this morning. First of all, again, the big idea is that when we don't see God's hand, trust in God's heart. But to take this kind of to the next level, to, to kind of break this down, the first thing is I want us to understand is that when God says no, it isn't actually a reflection on your own faith. There, there's Sometimes we, we kind of sit back and we think that well, God didn't answer it the way that I thought he should answer it, so there must be something wrong with me. 
Hear, hear me out real quick. That's just bad theology. It's bad theology. I, I've walked with people through church for years that they were like, I'm praying that God, my, my mom got cancer or my spouse got cancer. I'm just praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, but God is, he's not showing up. He's not healing them. And they get angry, and then they get depressed, and then they begin to stiff-arm God because God didn't show up and do exactly the way that they thought that God should show up. And they think, man, maybe if I just hadn't done this, maybe if I would have done this, maybe if I served more, if I gave more, if I loved people more, if I did this, I did this. And they think it all comes down to this bartering. That God wants more of me doing this, and if I would have just done that, then God would have shown up. The reality is we have to come to a place in our faith where we literally, more than just head knowledge, but it becomes heart knowledge, that we trust in the fact that God's ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. And he sees the big picture, which is so much bigger than the perspective that I bring or that I can understand. That there's an element of he is working all around us. He's working in people's lives all around us. And so just because God says no, that isn't necessarily a reflection upon where you're at in your faith with him. For some of you, you, you need to relax. Learn to sit and receive his grace. Grace isn't something you work for. It is unmerited favor. Relax. Receive. Receive. We will never become a dispenser of God's grace until we become a person that experiences God's grace. Slow down. Relax. Receive. The second thing I want us to understand and wrestle with is we have to, in order to move to the next layer of our faith, the thing that will help us begin to understand that when God's hand doesn't show up, how we begin to trust his heart is when our questions begin to shift, where we move from asking why God into what God. We see this even take place here in the passage in an element of how Paul, he talks about, I ask God over and over and over, God, would you remove this? Why, God, do I have to live with this? Why do I have this thing? I, I, it's driving me crazy. Would you remove this? God says no. And then there's an element where Paul's like, well, God, I've asked why. He said, don't worry about it. I'm still here. I don't want you to be conceited. I'm here. I'm going to be working through you. But then there's this element where Paul goes, God, now it's about what? I'm done asking why. Now I'm asking how are you going to use me? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? That's where we have to grow in our faith. That's where God wants to take us, where we move beyond just asking why God to now what God? What do you want from me? If all we do, we live in the why God, our faith only goes this level, and eventually we're going to find ourselves so disappointed with God that we're going to stiff arm and we may walk away. Moving from why God to what God is the thing that keeps our faith moving forward. For instance, in Arizona, Melissa and I, we lived on a street even before we had kids. 
this is one of those streets where, yes, we all had our own lot, but it was like my lot was the size of this little blue rectangle up here. Teeny. And uh, there were some neighbors down the street that looked about our age. I was at this stage really into mountain biking. I noticed he had a mountain bike and he'd leave regularly on the mountain bike. I'm like, I need to get to know this guy. Had a daughter the same age as my son. He had a son the same age as my daughter. And I'm like, hey, we, this, this is a great opportunity. We got to get to know them. And eventually began to pray and God opened the door for us to get to know them. I noticed his daughter wore these weird glasses. I'd never seen anybody wear these weird glasses before. And we got to know them, got to hear a little bit of their story. Dave and Stephanie were their name. Dave wrestled over and over, almost on a daily basis, with the question of why God. Because his daughter was born with what is called day blindness. She can't be in light. And so she had to wear special glasses to protect her eyes that would allow her to see basically in gray scale everything that was around her. And it just, it just wrecked him. Like, why, why God? Why, why does my daughter have to suffer with this? His wife became pregnant out of wedlock at 16 and had everybody bail on her. Her family, her friends, her church. And she wrestled with a lot of why God questions as well. Then their son was born. Their son was born with deformity in his back. Lived with constant pain. There were certain things that he couldn't do as a result of that. And I just watched this deep down inside, this why God question just burn a hole through their soul. And they just like, I don't want anything to do with God. If this is the God that he allows us, I don't want anything to do with him. Here's what I want to remind us. We all have these moments where we look at our life, we look at things that we wrestle with, we look at maybe things that our own kids wrestle with, and it causes us to ask these questions, why God? You, you can allow this why God question to get in the way and to, to wall off God and what he wants to do in your life, how he wants to reveal his life to you. Or you can learn to try to trust him, recognizing that he sees things that we don't see. We do, yes, we live in a fallen world. There are things that happen that aren't a part of his perfect plan from the beginning. But our God is so powerful that he has the ability to take the worst evil and turn it into something good if we allow him to do it, if we allow him to have access. And this is exactly what Paul experienced firsthand in his life. Why? Because God's heart is good. God's heart is loving. I don't want us to forget today that God loved you so much that he took your sins upon him and he went to the cross. So that those things that separate us, those things deep down inside, honestly, that make us feel abandoned by God, that he's demonstrated right before us. No, you're not abandoned. I'm here. This is how much I love you. That I hung on a cross for you. So to, to kind of take a moment out of this morning as we wrap up towards our, the end of our Why God series, I, I just want us to focus in on the cross. So as you came in this morning, 
we had communion elements back there in the back. Would you go ahead and take a moment and pull this out? For those that are new to church, maybe you walked in and you just had spiritual questions and you're trying to figure this whole church Jesus thing out. First of all, this is something that has been part of the church from the very beginning. Just to sit back and to reflect and to remember who Jesus is. And, and Jesus talked about it this way. And it's captured in a couple places in Scripture. I'm going to read a portion of this specifically out of the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so for us, part of the church, over the centuries, we take some time periodically to eat a little wafer, drink a little cup of juice, and just reflect. This is a moment for us. It's like a memorial service. It's a time for us to just reflect upon the love of Jesus, that he would take our sins upon him, that he would die for us. For those that have walked in and you haven't gotten to that place where you've said yes to Jesus, that maybe you're exploring, first of all, I want you to know we're glad you're here. I want you to know you matter to God. At the same time, I would hate to ask you to do something that meant nothing to you. And so instead of taking time to take communion, I, I would challenge you to do this. I would ask you that where you are today, would you just say, God, reveal yourself to me? Because I think God will actually answer that prayer. For the rest of us, this is a time for us, again, just to slow down. Nothing magical takes place when we take communion. So again, it's a time for us to reflect upon the goodness of Jesus and the power of the cross. And so where you're at, would you just take a moment? Let's take the wafer together this morning. Take a moment. Let's take up the cup together. Would you join me? Jesus, we love you. We need you. Thank you for the power of the cross and how you revealed yourself to us. Your love, your grace. Your grace is all sufficient. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to embrace our weaknesses, to embrace our challenges, to embrace the trials that we walk through. Because it is in our weakness that we are strong. It is in our weakness you are seen, the power of Jesus at work in our lives. So God, even as we approach the week ahead of us, Lord, may we walk with humility recognizing your hand and your work going on in our lives. We need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's take a moment and let's sing together.